The first line of the song is, I want to know what you look like naked. It's great. I like it. It's like a... It catches you. Like disco. I want to know what you look like naked. It's not that That's creepy. Buffalo, New York. It's the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast. Welcome to the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast, where we separate the men from the women and then reassemble them because gender is just a construct. My name is Ryan Garnett, and Lewis, what is the first rule of the Struggle is Real? My name is Lewis. The first rule of the Struggle is Real is don't talk about the Struggle is Real. What? Have you not been telling people about this podcast <laughs> but, but, but like you, you know Ty, tyler durden and, and, and so you, you, you know <laughs> well on episode 72 of the struggle is real buffalo music podcast cassidy lewis and i will be uh well cassidy won't be around for the interview but she'll be around for the other stuff i don't know i had to interject that but the, it's sad the, i miss all the fun the grammar but yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be talking with uh, drummer, composer, arranger, writer, consultant, Elliot Jacobson. I had the privilege of playing drums with Elliot in high school, and he has since gone on to play with performers like Regina Spector, Ingrid Michelson, and El King. He's also performed on any late night show you can name, and even other shows. I saw him on Rachel Ray, which <laughs> you can't say that about everybody. And uh, he was on. You watch Rachel Ray, though, huh? I watched Rachel Ray because of that. There you go. Don't, I mean. <laughs> no, no, no. It's because he definitely watches she, Rachel I mean, Ray. She's kind of cute, you know. That daytime TV getcha. Yeah. Uh, he was also on uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' New, Year, New Year's Eve as well. Um, we're going to talk to him about uh, working his way up the ladder, his advice for up-and-coming professional musicians, and hopefully there's at least one or two embarrassing stories about me. I have a couple questions I would hope. to ask. <laughs> we'll find out. We shall find out. We'll also be playing new music by a local band called the Kalahari Merman Experience, featuring members of Tortoise Forest, Ooh. John Moore and the Missing Star. Oh, there's no the. There's no the. when you put those, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 that, it, that's that's tripped Moore, me up before. John Moore and Missing Star and Genesis. Yes. Nice. Because you can't do that on Nintendo. <laughs> but first. All right. I've been talking about this. It's time. I, I've got, I, I'm going I'm to take... I tried taking off my glasses, He's but then I can't serious, read the screen. serious, guys. It's going to be right. serious. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kicking the chair back here. Um, Buffalo, it's time that we have a talk about Alt-Buffalo 104.7 and 107.7. Um, I've recently started trolling their Facebook page for choosing to run such irritating clickbait as, wow, this woman sure looks a lot like Emma Watson, and Friends fans shocked to find out that Matthew Perry's dad appeared in an episode instead of doing the bare minimum that they could do, which is helping to support the local music scene. So this isn't new. Um, I started noticing noticing the hashtag uh, bring back our alternative family. So I did a little more research and I stumbled upon an article called a giant media company fired all our local DJs and my city is not happy about it. Um, I knew a couple of the DJs who were fired, but I had no idea to the extent the firings went. I was just starting to love their morning shows. I was loving the attention, especially at uh, Riverworks and concerts that they would promote. Yeah, it was My nice. Goodness. It was. So, um, so 
And Intercom is our enemy. <laughs> let's swear, let's swear. I mean, I've actually interviewed with them twice along my career, and yeah. um, I, the first guy just, he was kind of a scumbag, and he gave me, it was a sales position, he gave me like homework. Like 16 questions. It took like three hours to do, and then I didn't hear from him for four months right. to tell me I got rejected. That's so, stupid. Entercom owns several stations. I mean, they own stations everywhere. They own several in Western New York, uh, WGRAM, uh, WBEN 930 AM, ESPN 1520 AM, Star 102, KISS 98.5, Alt Buffalo 107, and. Uh, Classic R&B simulcast on 107.3 FM. Right. I feel that's like a lot. I f yeah. I feel like they might have more if that's the case, especially having like ESPN, you know, uh, Well, the other formats, forgive me, the other formats for these radio channels, fine, play Top 40. Fine, yeah. play your, but when you're promoting yourself as the local alternative station, uh, give me a break. Yeah. So, um... The firings extend way past just Alt Buffalo. Uh, notable people uh, who let go included Kiss 98.5's DJ Anthony, who was he was cut loose after uh, 20 years. Uh, WGR 550's Paul Hamilton, who's a guy I actually really like listening to, uh, he was axed. And uh, 107.7's DJ Lexi, who um, is the first name I hear about when anyone complains about the all family being gone. People miss right. Lexi. Lexi, come back. Now I'm not a business expert, and I. Do under and I do understand that the current economy, it, it the the climate is putting kind of the squeeze on everyone. But um, Entercom bought up a whole bunch of Western New York radio stations. These stations do nothing to help the local music scene, the local art scene, and even when they do still do big events, it never even involves local performances. It's like shit like kerfuffle. Is that one hundred seven point seven or is that Kiss? Either way, it's Entercom. Huh. They don't play music, local music outside of their own shows. They don't promote anything. And they can't even be bothered to hire a social media person who can focus on Buffalo when they post things. Um, it's not that they're giving us, like, it's not like a lot, like, it's not not enough effort. It's no effort. They do not care. If you look at any of the responses on Facebook to people saying, bring back all Buffalo, they're not even responding. They don't, they, 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 it's when you try and get a price change on your cable through Spectrum and they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do it. And we're <laughs> happy we're not going to do it. It's crazy, man. So... Uh, Entercom is not a local business. Their headquarters is in Philadelphia. When local businesses spend money advertising on Entercom stations, where do you think the money goes? Does it stay in the community or does it go to Philadelphia? At a time when Buffalo as a community needs to focus on buying local, as our economy is super fragile, if you read news reports, more than a lot of areas in this country because of COVID. And if any local business that wants to advertise with them, they're just pumping, you know, we pay them for their service. They're pumping money into Philadelphia for advertising. Advertising. So what I see is a giant faceless corporation taking money out of our city, eliminating jobs, and serving no relevant purpose to our local artists and musicians. Do you know what that means? It means we don't fucking need them. We do not fucking need them. So for starters, I'm boycotting them. I can find all of that same music on other platforms. Secondly, I'd really like to start a local streaming radio station to take their place. Lou and I have been talking about it. Hey. If other people want to jump in, that'd be great. We have the platform with westernnewyorkmusic.com, and we just need a couple other people to chip in and help, and I think we can get something really cool happen. And 
I don't think I'm going to slay Goliath by doing this, but I'm still going to try. I just don't want to sit around complaining about no radio stations playing Buffalo music. I hate when people just sit around and complain about shit without doing anything about it. If you have hours in the day to complain about shit, you have hours in the day to fucking try and change it. So if you don't like it, change it. So that's what I'm going to do, and that's we need all the help we can get. But in the meantime, I want to start, uh, uh, let's get Boycott Alt Buffalo trending. Let's get that hashtag trending. Right. I'm about it. Yeah, no, definitely it's, it's crazy how far that how far a corporation would go to just, you know, keep money in their pockets and stuff like that, especially when you're trying to dedicate a station or an outlet just based on the local economy. And like back to your point that you said earlier, you know, which Oh, man, I'm brain farting so hard. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to mention, too, a lot of these people were axed before COVID as well. So it's not even like if when COVID goes no, away and more money's available. No, I think it's the available. reformatting of our airwaves. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and the airwaves locally on the FM format radio channels, they can support our local musicians more so than any internet source in material. I mean, you look at how that web is cast, right? Yeah. So, uh, structurally, it's a big disservice to local music to not have a channel playing our, our heartbeat. Um, it, I think it's something that the larger markets also drive up, as you said, uh, the advertising dollars. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to advertise with that type of megalith, you got this giant corporation so their structured advertising plans aren't really going to be buffalo sized nope nope um, you're just feeding the beast so it supports local business you think about how local venues can then be supported by that kind of a radio station for sure um, and you can interview and have more of your finger on the pulse with your local as the podcast tries to do yeah. already yeah. so and so i i think this is is, is this like it's just a 24-hour podcast that's going to end up happening because um, I, I i could i can spend i've got 24 hours a day free i mean wow. yes <laughs> yes and no there's like some limitations but i'll get into the weeds and that on another yeah off, so off record but but from other numerous well at least i'm gonna yeah. jump in for a second uh at least from numerous other projects i've got permission to use an awful lot of local music already and we do have uh we have four podcasts on the website right now. Um, we're actually going to be adding a fifth within the next couple weeks. So we have that content to go on there. I love the idea of re-airing the interviews as segments then on this station and then also having these programs that can highlight different eras Absolutely. of Buffalo music. Um, do you like these flashback programs that bring you back to Buffalo 1993 or whatever you want? Oh, man. That was just me. That was just me. It is no, loud. no. You just, you just made my heart pitter-patter a little bit. It is 10 a.m. Do you know where your children are? Next, Squelch's <laughs> Brisket by Tortoise Force. I like it. So, yeah, if you want to get involved, um, it's Sir William Idol um, on on uh, on the Gmails. Local polka music. We have local polka bands. What, Do you know what, this? What time? Yeah. Oh God, I've seen MeTV actually has like a local uh, polka hour. What time of day would be peak polka hours? I think it's when your grandma's listening on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So like 5 a.m. I want this to be like the, yeah, definitely the 5 to 9 on a Sunday. All right. Morning. I can get into that. Get right? a nice alternative happy hour going, you know. If but you're I mean... still up from Saturday night and you turn on this station at 5 a.m. on a Sunday, um, you know, if you're that type of a person and you get the polka playing, that could be a real... 
weekly thing. Yeah. Sure. So if you're listening and you, this sounds cool to you, like I said, it's it's this is going to be some work that Lewis is doing, and I I literally I looked into it, and it just everything read foreign to me, and. <sighs> It's I'm really a 39-year-old with, <laughs> with 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 health problems, so like my brain just looked at that and it All was just like mush, mush, mush. I looked into so, it and I read it and I spent six hours just reading and getting everything nice and ready, so I know like, am I gonna need help with this? Am I not gonna need help with this? And so far, it looks like I'm not. After like really getting through it, so hopefully I can I like get this the throwback done. to the broadcast <laughs> on an airwave instead of the podcast. Like there's something so analog throwback about oh, this. Absolutely. Like you're the eight yeah. track. <laughs> oh yeah, I, this is basically I, I get to make make the like the longest local music mix CD ever. Basically, is how I view this, and that sounds like the most fun thing ever. And it's a dream, yeah. Cassidy, you're gonna be a DJ. Oh yes. And Lou, DJ Lou, Cassidy. you're gonna be a DJ. DJ Pepe. <laughs> I like it. Let's go. So, yeah. So, if you're interested, join up. Um, we have a super long interview with Elliot Jacobson. We actually had to cut it into two parts. So, he'll be, uh, he'll be on the next two episodes. So, let's... Uh, I, I think a very uh, fitting song to follow all of this yelling is uh, Burn It All Down by Burn John Moore and Missing Star. I did not coordinate that, but uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, he just put out a new album. I'm trying to see if I can find where the copy of it is. Well, just go for John Moore and Missing Star on Spotify or any streaming place and you can find it. He just put out a new album. It's really good. Uh, this is the first track off of it. And we will be back with Elliot Jacobson in a little bit here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com.
just to get ahead. You hear a voice, it's calling you again. You're looking for a hand to pull you through. When everyone has run right. We are back here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on WesternNewYorkMusic.com. I'm really excited about our next guest. Uh, our, ne- our next guest is uh, Elliot Jacobson. Hey, Elliot. How's hey. it going? What's up, guys? It's going good. So hey. to give a little background on Elliot, he, uh, he, you were in Buffalo only about like three years-ish, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played drums together in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, Elliot just went on from there to do an amazing amount of other things that we'll get into. He's a writer, he's a producer, he's a musician, he's a management consultant. What don't you do? Um, nothing. I do all those things. <laughs> you can, can you juggle? Like, if I were to give you, like, just like a bunch of, like, pins or, or like, balls or something, can you, would you be able to do that? Um, you know, I've never tried, so I'm going to say I can, I can. I, I think you, I, I, I've seen how you can drum and like twirl sticks. So <laughs> I don't think juggling is too far removed from that skill set. Yeah. yeah what if we just uh, give you like drumsticks instead to juggle that way? Definitely. You know, that would work. Oh, <laughs> I, I would, I'd watch that. that would I'd be watch cool. it. I'd, yeah. I'd do it. So before we get started, I'm going to say this about, about Elliot. Um, I remember in, God, this would have been like around 99, maybe Um, we were writing music to go into the recording studio. And we had like, it was a whole weekend we had planned. So we wrote for like eight days, one day. And then the next day we were going to do it for like another five or six hours. So the first day is fine. And then at the end of the day, we we go to play, uh, we like playing football in the street and we had like seven people in the band. (laughs) So uh, it was, we had a lot of people for it and Elliot hurt his foot so we go back in the house, we go to sleep, we wake up in the morning and the next day he isn't, he's still playing. He's just not using that foot. And we eventually found out he broke his foot in the street. And I will tell people that Elliot Jacobson at 15 with one foot might still be the best drummer I have ever played with. I played, I played so many shows with a broken foot after that. I like, didn't really stop. I probably should have stopped, but I, I, re- I remember you like going into rehearse for jazz and I like yeah. your mom would be like, where's Elliot. And I just kind of like give her a look and she'd be like, is he in there playing drums? He's not supposed to. <laughs> oh, so, man. yeah. So like, let, let, let's start from the beginning because you know, hard work and a lot of things, you know, get you so far, but you have had, you've been very skilled for 
you know, most of your life. So I know you kind of started off with the, uh, I remember you started off with the, the Suzuki violin method. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do, do you remember what that was like at all as your, your start into music? Yeah, I was in, uh, I was in kindergarten and there was like a, a violin teacher that came in for like a demonstration for all the kids, which sounds like a great idea now, because of course kids are going to be excited to see anybody come into the classroom oh God. and play an instrument that they've never seen up close everybody wants to take lessons. So I, I wanted to take lessons and my parents said yes, which I think is a little crazy, but they, you know, they, they always kind of supported what I was doing. Uh, and I wasn't the type of kid that was jumping from one thing to the next. I kind of would, you know, pursue one area pretty diligently and violin turned out to be that way. And I played for like four or five years or something like as a you know, a, a kindergarten through whatever it was, third grade. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was pretty good. I mean, I definitely was like taking it seriously and practicing and doing all the things you're supposed to do. Um, but that was the beginning and it was Suzuki method, which I mean, at the time I didn't know the difference. I'm a child, sure. but, um, I think it really, you know, the method is, is sort of based more on like listening and, and it's more of an active kind of way to learn music than just traditionally like reading and playing. It's like, there's this sort of other element to it, um, which I think helped carry over into other things I would do later, just like how I would hear music and how I would respond to it. So, I, I mean, maybe I, you know, that just learning in that method kind of shaped how I perceive and process music possibly i mean I, there's yeah. no way to know but yeah it was unique wow yeah no i think i i i like at least like having someone come in and giving students the option for that approach just because i know a lot of people learn very differently yeah for yeah. sure um now i have a follow-up for that you know being someone that is self-taught okay like i taught myself how to do everything you know i, I literally diy everything <laughs> saves money it's cost effective and it's something that i'm passionate about now um in contrast do you feel that you know having gone through the suzuki uh suzuki suzuki method Mm -hmm. um do you feel that that really kind of grounded your uh fundamentals in just music theory and writing and you know understanding of composition in general Um, do you think that really like established a very good boundary like a sorry foundation for you I think like subconsciously, you know, cause at the time I wasn't really aware of where this could head, where this could go or how long this would last or like how I could apply this anywhere else. You know, I was so young, but I think it definitely like that in combination with listening to like, like at the time I would listen to the beach boys and think they were like a, a modern band. I don't know if you guys have this experience when you're looking back on like the music you listened to as a kid, you're like, Oh man, like, fucking billy joel was like you know i was listening to like the records he put out in like the 70s thinking it was like modern music and like <laughs> rod stewart or like whatever my parents had. Oh, oh yeah yeah you know and, and a then, lot of rod stewart <laughs> and then um you know so i think like listening to a lot of that like you know classic kind of stuff and then a little bit on the radio but like i was listening to a lot of music so i feel like that maybe shaped it more then um maybe maybe more directly than like the violin stuff but it it did come back around eventually you know i started sort of drawing some lines because i think if you play a lot of different instruments too you start to make these connections and it all you can see you kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture absolutely i completely agree with that yeah 
So when did you switch over to drums then? And why did you switch over to drums? Um, well, violin kind of stopped um, because I was dealing with like, uh, uh, like tendonitis stuff, like growing pains as a kid. So I, I was in, in a lot of pain and the doctors were like, you can't hold the violin anymore. You're going to like hurt. I mean, if that happened now, I'm sure like medicine is more advanced Yeah, and there's more like physical therapies and things. But at the time it was like, nope, you got to like <laughs> grow a little more and then maybe you can do something someday. Wow. So I didn't really want to stop, but that was, I really didn't have a choice. I was in a lot of pain in my wrists and hands. And then it's, it is kind of ironic that like I would take and pick up an instrument that was like, you know, is, is more aggressive and physical than holding a bow and like, you know, but, um, there was a few years where I wasn't really playing music. And then I, I think it was like sixth grade. It was like one of those, like have all the kids pick an elective day <laughs> and, and, and like, and there's, you know, there's this group of kids that are doing like, uh, the core chorus, you know, like singing. And then there was like a journalism thing. And I think there was like computer, which at the time, you know, was like how to type on a computer and then oh, yeah. which i probably should have done that but you know then then there's like you know um like the music kids and like a lot of my friends were over there and i just stood in line with the drummers like they were my buddies and um there was a rumor which i don't know if this is true but i've heard this from other musicians that were kind of coming up that time where the your dental records were like a big deal for horn players like at that age, if, if your teeth weren't, if you were going to like have braces and stuff, it was like, oh, you can't play horn because that's going to like impede huh. on your thing. So that is actually I, true. Yeah, that's, okay. that, that is actually out. true. I know because um, one of my close buddies in high school, he had braces um, and he got them freshman year and he used to play trumpet. And mm -hmm. he told him he couldn't play trumpet anymore because it might fuck up um, the way that his teeth was forming and it might cut his wow. lip blowing into the trumpet. So that makes sense, but I, I never would have thought thing. of that. All the wow. people that were playing like sax and, and, and trumpet and everything were coming in with their dental records. I didn't do any of this. I'm like, <laughs> why would I? So I was oh. like, All right, it's going to be drums. It's going to be drums. And that was kind of it. No planning. No, it was like last minute, like, I'm going to get in the drum line. And yeah. By the way, I'd rather hold a violin for like six hours straight than have to move a drum set ever again. For oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so eventually you moved from, you were in Texas originally, you moved up to Buffalo, you yeah. finished high school there mm -hmm. and, and Lou will ask about that. And then we're going to do a, uh, on a second segment. Um, so then you went up, uh, was it, was it Fordham university where you went? No, I went to the Fort, It's funny that you, you said Fordham. Cause that was my high school girlfriend at the time. She went to Fordham, Whoa. but I went, so yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I went up to, to, to school in New York uh, and I started, you know, I just kept playing, you know, in, in the, the, the sort of music program at the school, which wasn't great, but it was, um, you know, there was, uh, that's like a mean thing to say, it, but there was, uh, you know, there was like jazz band and concert band and like percussion ensemble and all the stuff I was into. And I got accepted with like a small music scholarship and, um, kept, you know, kept the dream alive you know, <laughs> playing, uh, and meeting the musicians around on Staten Island and like in, in New York and, and Manhattan and, you know, not quite Brooklyn yet because I wasn't quite in there, you know, but, um, yet. Yeah. So do, do, do you have to like, 
Do you have to like do good in one borough before they let you move on to the next? <laughs> I think so, actually. Uh-huh. I kind of, I kind of, uh, I, I, I maxed out Staten Island at least. Like oh, that's what, where my college was. So sure. Um, and what what college? Wagner College. Wagner, okay. Wagner, which is like a, it's mainly a a kind of. Well, they sort of sell themselves at, at least at the time as like you can go to New York but not be overwhelmed by Manhattan. Come to Staten Island. It's not really, that's, that's really uh, not the whole story of, of Staten, you know, if you're yeah. in New York, what Staten Island really is compared to Manhattan is not really like the alternative to Manhattan or like a, you know, lower uh, dosage of Manhattan. That's not quite how it works. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I started connecting with musicians on Staten Island. Ingrid is one of them. And like her bass player at the time, who's still her bass player, you know, and, and that helped me kind of get into a little bit of a scene, you know, and then like going into Manhattan and, and meeting like a couple other musicians, you know, a few other musicians like through shows and stuff. That was the beginning of, of my kind of like uh, foothold here, I guess. Sure. I think, uh, I think having to like max out one location before you can move on to the next is a, a really good tip for any local musician. I know a lot of people in Buffalo, they had, they haven't maxed out Buffalo yet. And they're already talking about like Rochester and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Whereas, but uh, I, I think it also shows how uh, super Mario brothers prepared us for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one level at a time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You max out the level, then, then you move on to the next. I like right. this. So, um, all your stats up. <laughs> so uh, how did you meet Ingrid? So I met Ingrid uh, just really through word of mouth. And it was like, she had a drummer at the time. She fired the drummer. She was asking around, you know, the little sort of community around my college. Like she lived down the road from my school. She's a little bit older than me. So she had already graduated. Um, She went to Binghamton. So she's like, yeah. So she's like home waitressing, working a restaurant, doing open mics at the little like artsy bar that was also like sort of in the little circle around the college. Um, and oh, and, and for the record, for those who don't, we're talking about Ingrid Michelson, just yes. for those <laughs> the uninitiated. Yeah. Uh, there's like another famous Ingrid, but she's like old and dead or something. Old and dead. I don't know. Probably, yeah. Yeah, okay. So not that one. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, we she asked a friend of mine that I was like, she was closer to a friend that I, that went to my school and like uh, that I was playing drums with at the time. And then, you know, Oh yeah, I know Elliot. He's a good drummer. He, you know, you should play with him. And then the next thing I know, we're like hanging out in the, the school sort of band room that I had keys to somehow. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm just like in there, like with Ingrid and we're sort of like, I guess this is like an audition for me, you know? And then, uh, but it wasn't like auditioning for the Ingrid Michaelson. She was just a, like a songwriter around and, you know, it's probably the same as like, come jam with me and, you know, let's see if this is cool. Yeah. And it, it worked. Casual and, setting. Yeah. Pressure. Super casual. I mean, I felt like, Ooh, I, you know, I want, I want to play with Ingrid. Like I yeah. want to, you know, play with more people. So I felt a little bit of that, but ultimately, yeah, it was just like, I was, a, <laughs> I was the drummer on Staten Island, I guess. And, she needed somebody and it was a good fit for sure. I'm still really, I was one of Ingrid's first 100 fans on MySpace. I'm still, <laughs> still very, very yeah. proud. I got, I got that call. Got so, it. Um, uh, what was the first single with Ingrid that kind of hit it big? Uh, the first thing that happened was a song called breakable got a placement on Grey's Anatomy. 
Okay. Um, oh, and, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and at the time, we're talking like the early 2000s, and Grey's Anatomy was a huge, I mean, it is a very big TV show, but at the time, the viewership was. Oh, yeah. Planned. And also just the way that sync worked in uh, music at the time was like, you get on that show, you're going to get in front of millions and millions of listeners who are going to then look you up on MySpace, Like who is Ingrid Michaelson and then become a fan of the artist. There's like all these conversions happening. And then I'm going to go to Ingrid's show. Like that was happening. So w once we, once that sync happened, um, we played, there's this place that was called the living room in the Lower oh, East yeah. Side. Yeah. yeah. And we had a, sh we, we played there pretty regularly, but it was different this time because we, we, sh we went out for like, some of us left the venue to go get pizza or something, came back and there was a line around the block and we couldn't even get into the stage. <laughs> so we're like, what is going on? And we're getting like calls from our friends being like, we can't get into your show. And we're like, what are you talking about? I can't get in. And it was the first time there was like a line around the block. We, we walk, you know, I, we have, you have to like walk through the audience to get to the stage at the old venue there. So I'm like awkwardly walking to the drums past people. People are sitting on the floor because there wasn't enough seating. It was just like, we'd never seen anything like that. And that's how we wow. knew like, okay, something just happened. Like what, you know, this is different. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Just to see like that, Go, go from like we're playing every single bar in Manhattan. We're playing a bunch of like open mics. We're playing, uh, you know, we had a couple like shows that she would do at the bitter end where like her friends and family would come out. And so it was like a packed show, but it was really just like our friends. And, you yeah. know, really, um, you know, and that felt big to us. And that was like the successful show. And then going from that to like, we don't know anybody in the audience. We can't even get in. This is kind of scary because there's all these strangers here. You know, it was like, like well, this is weird, you know. Um, but that was the beginning of like things, I guess. Starting, wow. You know. But I, I think I, I think that feeds into two. I uh, I feel like every band should pay as much attention to trying to get their music in movies and television mm -hmm. as they do trying to like get their stuff out on Spotify. Even a web series would be good too. Mm -hmm. yeah Those just add, like you know or even i've made some videos recently even just some promotional videos where i, I always make sure i list the music out so people know where to get it but i think that's a way to get in front of people and get that's a way to get in front of new audiences that i think a lot yeah. of fans really don't consider that would be uh would be really good for them so oh so man i don't even i, I don't I even have, know where to go from here i have <laughs> some stuff if you want me to yeah go for it Lou. Dude. All right. So having worked with, you know, Ingrid Michaelson and, uh, you know, having a very big uh, portfolio of just drums, you know, I can see that you work with, you know, the vamps. Mm -hmm. Low key a fan, not going to, not going to start. Right. <laughs> um, um, you know, you worked with Livia Blanc. I mean, you know, in your personal experience and in your professional experience, you know, what do you think uh, really defines and separates the group that you work with? um from each other is it more the personality the more they're you know uh the way they conduct business with you or is it just more of like a you know very natural fluid like oh yeah i just worked with this guy here you go pass him over mm. you mean like um like when how they view me or how i view like the different artists vice like, versa so either way you want to spin it okay yeah i mean i think for well it's I guess like as a drummer in particular, you know, I, people would want to work with me because, you know, they maybe know that I've 
I have a track record or I've done, I have some credits, but it's usually been a very personal kind of like, uh, I get to meet someone and then they, you know, something happens where they're, they're, they need a drummer for something or, or a producer, um, has worked with me on one project and they bring me on another project, um, or friends of mine who are producers then, you know, bring me into their recording sessions. Um, that was happening really early on. Like when I graduated school and I was living in Brooklyn, it was a lot of like producer friends being like, you know, you played great on this record. Why don't you come in again? And, um, uh, you know, or artists bringing me to their producers. So there's all this just like crisscross of kind of, I mean, people say it's like who, you know, but it's sort of like who you, who you meet and how, and those relationships, the stronger they are and the more real they are, the more they're going to really blossom in, in that sense of like one artist leads to another artist leads to another producer. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would reach out cold to artists all the time too in the beginning because I was super hungry and I was just like wanting to play drums all the time. Um, but I wasn't, uh, it wasn't at the cost of like, like my uh, loyalty to certain artists, you know, like mm. I wouldn't just cancel gigs because I got something better. You know, I wouldn't, um, I was prioritizing commitments, which was tricky because like, you know, I was coming up at a time when there was a lot of songwriters playing in the scene in New York. I mean, there was still like a really strong music scene here and the live scene. And, um, you know, I, there was some other musicians who would jump around and just seem, seem to be playing with everybody, but they weren't get, they weren't being asked to do tours and asked to do recording sessions as much because I think they were like viewed as like, you know, just a little too, I don't know, scattered or a little too out there. Um, and I just tried to be, I wanted everybody to feel like I was their drummer, you know? Um, even if I, even if I, I was clearly a hired person or, you know, one-off thing. And I guess like the other side of that was I would just try to cater to everybody, you know, being a drummer for Ingrid was very different than being a drummer for L and, and very different than the vamps, you know, or, or whoever. So it was like really trying to focus on like what was needed as a, not just musically, but like as a person, like the personalities of all these musicians and artists are so different I mean, they overlap in a lot of ways too, but like very different personalities, different needs, different insecurities, you know? Um, so yeah. it's a very individualized process when it comes down to it. And yeah. now a follow up for that, because you were mentioning, you know, you reached out to some of these, you know, producers, to some of these musicians, you know, on, you know, working with these projects for, you know, the more local musicians that are, you know, hungry to, you know, dip their feet in, to you know the music world and kind of just explore their boundaries you know what advice would you give for them you know to manage uh their expectations to manage their commitments to manage their schedules because you know looking <laughs> looking at your website it seems you do, you've done a really good job at that well you know i think like the big thing is we have all these channels now to reach out to anybody i mean you can dm anybody pretty much whether they'll see it you know sometimes they don't you can email you can find people's emails, you know, Facebook, like every platform is there. But I think the biggest thing is people reach out bef- like a little too soon. Now people are very okay. eager yes. and you really need to have your shit together. Like you really need to have something to show. And I like to say you need to be competitive. Like you, you don't need to be, 
um, you don't need to try to copy other people necessarily. Like as a musician, you don't need to sound like everyone else. You don't need to fit into a, a, a trend. Um, but you do need to bring something to the table that's going to be on par with the people that are being hired or be, are working or, or who are working with the artists and producers that you want to work with. Sure. So just, you have to look and see like, what are they posting? What are they sharing? Do they have a website with, you know, uh, up-to-date credits? Are they, you know, are they, how are they presenting themselves? And then do, get that together before you want to, up, you know, really reach out and like up your game uh, with your, you know, with your contacts, especially like cold emails and cold, you know, where it's like, Hey, I'm so-and-so, you don't know anything about me. So I'm going to tell you who I am. Like, if, you know, if, if you're doing that, which I think to some degree you should, you should like shoot your shot, but you can't be do it prematurely. So that's like the biggest For thing. Sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, outside of, you know, being a drummer, you know, you're also a writer and a producer, you know, mm -hmm. I, I see that you've worked with, you know, Stefan Alexander, very, mm -hmm. very interesting character. I think he, I, I, I really, so one thing that I like about Stefan Alexander, um, he's very, he's very characteristic. He's like very avant-garde with just who he is as a person mm -hmm. and yeah. with his music style. So uh, like for, for me, at least, you know, like, how was, you know, working with someone who had such an avant-garde, you know, personality, you know, how, how was that experience for you? Um, I think actually it's funny cause like his personality is probably the least avant-garde <laughs> from many people that I work with. It's funny how that, really? like the person, like the lot, they're sort of like artistic message, uh, that they're communicating, you know, through visuals and music and, and their, uh, online content can appear to be more outgoing and, and, uh, out there maybe than who, how, you know, he's like kind of a, he's a funny kind of, I don't want to say soft-spoken, but like, you know, just sort of a, a, to me, like a very like casual guy. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like a lot of, you know, his content and, and the output is, is like, you know, is out there. Um, but that's the thing. It's, it's like some of the more subtle musicians, uh, and artists maybe have the biggest personalities. So it's, so with him in particular, I mean, oh, I've been working with Stefan for years, uh, before he had any music. I mean, we wrote and produced everything together with another writing partner of mine. And, um, so he's become a really close friend too. So it's like, I don't really even see him in that way of like, Whoa, man, you're, you know, this is like, I just know it's Stefan, you know? So yeah. it's, I'm a little numbed. I don't know if numb is the word, but <laughs> I'm used to it, you know? It's like a veil almost where it's yeah. like, you have this initial image in front and then you just like peel the layer back and oop, surprise. Completely, yeah. <laughs> completely different and blowing your expectations out of the water. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think Ryan, I had a question. Give me one second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, so um, you go from working with Ingrid, you've got a long list of people you've worked with. How did you get into like the production aspect uh, and kind of the arrangement aspect of what you do from going from performance? Mm -hmm. um, so that was just kind of a natural progression of like being on, on tour a lot. And I was using uh, Ableton software to run tracks for Ingrid uh, mm -hmm. for the live shows. And, you know, I found myself on 
the, the bus, the tour bus in some of the same cities over and over again. And I'm just like using the software to make sounds and like, you know, work out some tracks and parts and, and, um, it was just like using the tool to be more creative instead of just uh, facilitating a live kind of backdrop. So I started working in it and then I started reaching out to people that I was, that I had already worked with in some way who like knew me as a drummer or knew me from the scene or, you know, uh, and just saying, Hey, do you want to like, this is what people do now all the time. Do you want to collaborate? But I was just like, Hey, do you want to like, work to get like just create something i hadn't and i had no uh aspirations uh beyond just like making something because i was super bored (laughs) and and i was like maybe maybe these like singers that i i know and love from you know maybe drumming on their records or uh playing with them live would want to do something with me i I don't know that's a little bold especially after what i just said of like (laughs) don't reach out to people until you have your shit together but um i think they knew me enough to at least try so that's when it started i just started working with people and it was it was remotely a lot because i was traveling so much um which is also a little weird because now everybody's working remotely but like at the time that was kind of a novel thing it's like to send files back and forth oh yeah it was like like you know this is before kind of dropbox was normalized and we transfer it was you know we were i think those things existed but it wasn't like the norm um, a lot of the times you had to actually ship your hard drive out. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had a big hard drive. Like, you know, everybody did or still, still do, but you know, different thing. Um, but that's how it kind of started. And then just really, I like leaned into it and started working with more people and some projects started getting some legs and, you know, just kept, kept going. So out of the work you're doing now, how much of it is performance compared to production? I guess pre-COVID. Right, right. I mean, I really didn't, I wasn't playing very much um, because, you know, the the transition from being like full-time touring musician and studio musician, you know, was sort of because the production work and the writing work was something that was picking up more that I wanted to focus on. Sure. And I, I couldn't really like, I remember being on tour with L and then uh, I was like, you know, in hotel rooms and on like airplanes trying to like work on tracks for artists that were, you know, back in New York. And I just couldn't like really have my head in both worlds. Some people can do that. And I think it depends on the scheduling, you know, but I was just like, it wasn't really working the way I wanted it to. So, um, you know, I think, but I think then, then I sort of just like leaned into the production and writing stuff, doing sessions in person. And, and I wasn't really like seeking out drum work and, and I wasn't really, you know, people were, some people were still asking me to do stuff. I mean, Ingrid has always asked me to go on the road with her and I'm usually like, no, you know, like, but it's like <laughs> just this like dance of like, you know, we know um, what it is. I still do play shows with her, but like not the, not the long stretches anymore. Um, so sessional but, short sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but like, uh, I don't know, before COVID I was, I would just do like maybe a handful of shows per year, which I so regret now. I'm like, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? That's the best part. Is I yeah. I should be, I, I should play four times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I take any show right now. I'm, I'm, 
crazy. So you yeah. go from working with Ingrid, who, I mean, it's, it's nice. It's pleasant music to El King, which is a little more, more rocking. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what was that transition like for you? Was that, did you feel a little more at ease working with, with the rock stuff than you were with kind of the more, I'll say folky kind of stuff? Well, <clears throat> so a lot of Ingrid stuff evolved into more of a band sound. Yes, like, definitely. Early, you know, the early stuff was like Nora Jones E. I mean, that's just what people would compare it to. And then she was like, yeah. I want to make a record like Death Cab. And so we started, you know, rocking out a little bit. And then it progressed into like more of a pop kind of sound with some so I felt pretty satisfied with that, you know. I'm okay. Like, I'm a rocker, like, you know, and and like that was, I was, she wanted me to play like I wanted to play, you know, in, in, in a lot of moments and on the record and stuff. So when it, when L came along, it was like just leaning more into like a, a, a rock sound and a soul influenced kind of sound. So, you know, I was, I felt like I was bringing some of that to Ingrid's sound. And then now I could like, just go fully into like, you know, like a play like John Bonham because (laughs) that's what this music wants, you know, and, uh, and not because it's going to be like juxtaposed against, you know, like Ingrid stuff. So it it was still like, I feel like I was still happening, but I was just, maybe it was a little looser and more raucous. Um, but you know, I was, I was still like bringing the rock with Ingrid <laughs> as yeah. much as I could, as much yeah. as allowed. Oh, yeah. So going on tour, but between the both of them, and this is just what, you know, I see, you know, on TV and stuff. Is it, was, go, was going on tour with Elle more chaotic than going on tour with Ingrid? In some ways, yes. And in other ways, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, please indulge. So the, the, well, first of all, the routing with L was chaotic in the beginning because the song started blowing up. So yeah. we were getting all these crazy offers. I would go from New York to LA, back to New York, then back to LA within like two weeks. Cause like something else came up like a TV show or something. Uh, and you know, they were saying yes to everything that was popping up, which was super fun, but it was super chaotic because there was no real, like, okay, the tour is going to be six weeks and, you know, the routing is starting to be filled in. So, you know, it was like, we're going to go out for two weeks. And then while we're on tour, it's like, we just added like another three weeks. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I didn't pack enough clothes for that. I, you know, it was, it was just, um, it was nuts, but I think like, you know, also touring with Elle in the beginning, it was like her first rodeo, you know, she's out there. She's, a bit younger than I am had never played any of these venues had never done anything like this. So she is just eating it up and she's like, loves to, uh, loves to like, like corral all of her friends and be like, we're going to go, we're going to go party. We're going to go enjoy ourselves. Let's go out. Let's go out. Um, you know, at least then that was her, her vibe. So it was a lot of like, we're going to meet people. We're going to go hang out. We're going to party. I think Ingrid, the difference is like Ingrid is, was never really that way in her personality, but the musicians I was playing with in the band, we were all like, we want to, you know, it was our first, <laughs> like, let's go out. Let's like explore the town after the show. Um, you know, so 
you know, but, but the tour with Ingrid was planned out. It was contained, you know, the dates were never added like, uh, like in that way. So, you know, it just depends on what you consider chaotic. I guess. Sure. <laughs> you know, so now, now X's and O's was nominated for a couple Grammys. So does that mean you are the Grammy nominated Elliot Jacobson? No, I'm not. I'm not the Grammy nominated Elliot Jacobson. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if that, well, like if I was describing you when I was doing the resume, would I say Grammy nominated at some point in there? No. Or is that? No. Okay. No I was Grammy nominations for me yet. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't yes. sure. Cause you played on yes. it. So I was actually, so, I was actually kind of curious about that. I didn't act, So I didn't actually play on X's. Uh, oh, you didn't. This is an interesting, I mean, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a story with it, I guess. Like that when she was making that album, Elle was being sent on, it was like, it's sort of like a, a typical record label situation, major record thing where they sign the artist and they're like, great now you're going to be set up with all of our writers and producers and let's see if we can make a hit. So she was just for a couple years, she was like being sent off to on, you know, different producers and writers on all these like one-off writing sessions and her head was spinning. She's like, I don't even really know who I am anymore. I mean, it was, I, I met her the day I met her in person the day she got signed to our. Oh, wow. So, which is just coincidental. Um, you know, that's the day we decided to hang out and get French fries and like talk. And, um, and, uh, she's like, I just got signed. I'm so excited. But then there was like two years of just like whirlwind, whirlwind writing sessions. And a lot of it was just done with like her and another producer. And it was like done in a way that including that song, like they didn't know if it was going to even be selected for the album. You know, they didn't even know if it was going to be released. A lot of stuff she wrote during that time period didn't come out. Some of it came out later, um, but that one was her and Dave Bassett. Dave Bassett's like a super successful producer. Uh, the same year that X's and O's came out, he also did Rachel Platten's Spike song. So he had a really good year. Um, but like, so the, I guess the, the, maybe the fascinating story is that everything is programmed on that recording. There's no live anything. Uh, the guitars were tracked in into uh, the DAW, there's no amps. Nice. So everything is like, it's like the most, you know, authentic like rocker song, but like, I think Elle's playing some guitar in it, but it's all like programmed drums, programmed uh, wow. processed uh, um, guitars and stuff, but it sounds amazing. I mean, it's yeah, it does. Like, hey, some, some great musicians do use programmed drums and stuff like that. And it works, you know, like oh, yeah. animals, animals as leaders, they did uh, their entire, uh, it's their self-titled thing. So along with physical education, like, that entire album is just electronic drums and process like, yeah, yeah. synths and stuff. So, Hey, it happens, but you know, at least you can play it live and put the work into it, you know? Oh yeah. And that, that, the, 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 it's a testament to how good that was produced and mixed because to make that sound live, you had to really there's like a feel to it. It's not like, Oh, some, some programmed music, you have to like, just be a grid with that, with that song and, and a couple others with her, it was like, even if it was all programmed, like you, you really had to capture this feel or else it just wouldn't work. And yeah. she's super sensitive to that. She's like one of the most, I mean, Ingrid and Elle are both like super sensitive musicians where they can, if something isn't right, they can feel it. 
even if they can't identify it. And they're always right. I've never had, you know, L be like, this isn't working. This isn't, this is off. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's cool. You're just having a bad day. It's like, no, she's right. She can hear it. You know, the swing or the groove or whatever, you know? Um, and that one was tricky to get. That was really tough to nail that, that like shuffly kind of thing and have her feel super comfortable to like really like rip over it. Cause it's a big vocal. Um, but yeah, it's weird how that works with the like, computer stuff. So yeah, that is our interview with Elliot Jacobson. Uh, it, there's so much Elliot Jacobson. There will be t- another more Elliot Jacobson on the next episode. Yes, there will be all the Elliot you can handle. All the Elliot so, you can handle. Too much bread for one bread basket. Exactly. More bacon than the pan can handle. That's mm-hmm. right. More bacon and pancakes. Holy bacon, Batman. <laughs> so, um, Genesis sent me a song for the episode yesterday, mm-hmm. and between yesterday and today, that email has disappeared. So he hasn't resent it yet, so I don't know what the name of the song is. But I can tell you that he's recently put out an album, and if you go onto streaming platforms, you can find it. But I don't even want to name the album, because I know he's put out a lot of stuff recently, and I don't want to name the wrong album if this isn't the song from that album, because I don't know the song's name. But you're gonna play it because it's great. It's Genesis, of course it's great. That's right. Yeah. So, um... Here's Genesis on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com. And turning from desire that be burning Praying to God that he make me fall asleep Be exhausted in the morning and my body all contorted God, I know this ain't how it's supposed to be Every hour awaking, my body sweating and shaking And I don't ever get to finish my dream Sick of waking at the part where the love finally starts So the only way I'm gonna fall deep God, let it rain Take my time winning it, so don't worry, I don't skip the foreplay. So go on, let it rain. Rain on me, go on, let it rain. About to soak the ground, I explode and I might create a seed. 
Know you feel like you gon' bust I know that feeling is the worst But you can trust that I got everything you need She said I hope that you can swim Or I cannot let you in To succeed I need you to go deep I said no umbrella or a cup But if you flood it I'ma flow So baby please don't you worry about me Gone, let it rain So that was Genesis, and um, and that's all we have for episode seventy-two of the struggle 72. is real Buffalo music 72. podcast. Uh, on seventy-three, we will be joined again by Elliot Jacobson. We'll have part two of the interview. Um, yeah, did you save good stuff. Is it like a to be continued with epic suspense? We kind of just did a really long interview and didn't make enough breaks. I see. And yeah. then we finished and we're like, we have an hour and 20 minutes. But it's almost, I mean, it's all really I'm sure good for the yeah, most part. It's so he's a really, really good, really good session. Honestly, he's, he has a lot to say. He, I'm upset I wasn't here for it, really. Yeah, well, may, maybe. We'll have him on again. <gasps> well, if there's more not, counting, not counting the next episode. Right. Because that's sort of having him on again. It'll but like, like having him on again again. Yeah, like maybe episode 90. Like 82. It's good that you have bros like that, though. Yeah. That's really cool. Street cred. Street cred. I like to think so. Man, the only street cred I have is being Bob the Tomato. <laughs> is that a Veggie Tales? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. That is a story for a whole nother episode. Whole nother episode. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Um, wear a mask. Because we want this all to end real soon. Yeah. And I think we're, like, Milky's might be doing shows in the next month-ish. The back, yeah. So it's starting to come back. But you, we got to keep being safe so it doesn't get worse again. So yeah. everyone keep doing that. Uh, be nice to everyone. Everyone's going through horrible shit right now, it seems like. Yes. So um, thanks for listening. Keep on struggling. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>